The Holy Gospel according to the Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like that of a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in the field, which a man found and covered up. Then his joys he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in, in search of fine pearls, who, finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathers fish on every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the goods into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of all ages. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Gospel of the Lord. So when a man finds Jesus, it costs him everything. Jesus has happiness, joy, peace, healing, security, and eternity. Man marvels at such a pearl and says, I want this pearl. How much does it cost? The seller says, it's too dear, too costly. But how much? Well, it's very expensive. Do you think I could buy it? It costs you everything you have, no more, no less, so anybody can buy it. I'll buy it. What do you have? Let's write it down. I have $10,000 in the bank. Good, $10,000. What else? I have nothing more. That's all I have. Have you nothing more? Well, I have some dollars here in my pocket. How many? I'll see. 30, 40, 50, 80, 100, 120, $120. That's fine. What else do you have? I have nothing else. That's all. Well, where do you live? I live in my house. The house, too. Then you mean I must live in the garage? Oh, you have a garage, too. That, too. What else? Do you mean that I must live in my car, then? Have you a car? I have two. Both become mine. Both cars. What else? Well, you have my house, the garage, the cars, the money, everything. What else? Are you alone in the world? No, I have a wife, two children. Your wife and children, too. Two? Yes, everything you have. What else? I have nothing else. I am left alone now. Oh, well, you too. Everything becomes mine. Wife, children, house, money, cars, everything. And you too. Now you can use all these things here, but don't forget they are mine as you are. When I need any of these things you are using, you must give them to me because now I am the owner. Well, we've come to the end of our... Um, Matthew 13, Parables of Jesus. This is the last of the parables. I hope you've been reading through this in the last month and uh, you know, getting some insight into this. And so this is the last one. And uh, many years ago, I read a newspaper article called Who Am I and What Am I Worth? And the article talked about the human body was worth, what, it, what the human body was worth from a chemical or a raw material point of view. So we have enough iron 
in our bodies to make six nails. We have enough calcium in our bodies to paint one chicken coop. We have enough phosphorus in our bodies to tip 1,000 match heads. We have enough potassium and sulphur in our bodies to blow up one toy car. We have enough fat to make 10 bars of soap. Some can make a little bit more. <laughs> we have enough sugar to sweeten one cup of coffee. However, when we add all of the 39 chemical compounds that we have in our bodies together by weight, on a stock exchange valuation, we're worth about the grand total of $1,985.77. That will buy a top-of-the-range laptop computer. It will buy 2,722 Snickers bars. Or if you can find seven friends who are willing to donate their bodies to you, you can buy a late molar compact SUV. <laughs> so who am I and what am I worth? In our Gospel text, there's a familiar story, a story of treasure in a field and a pearl of great price. Now, some Christian commentators would say that the pearl in our text is the kingdom of God and that we are the seekers. And somehow, we are on a journey to find this spiritual pearl of great price, that we are to seek it, that we are to search for it, that we are to expend all cost to attain it. And when we find this pearl of great price, this treasure, then we will receive instant wisdom and divine revelation will be ours. So let's look at our text because if that's true this morning, I want that. Verses 44 to 46 says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid. And for the joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. So firstly... Throughout the centuries, the human race has always been inspired by treasures and riches. How many have raised boys in this room? How many have had to empty out their pockets before you put their pants in the wash because of the little treasures that they put in there? How many have uh, found uh, their sons, even their daughters, treasure chest under the bed or in the bedside table or in the wardrobe? Who still has a treasure chest, by the way? Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> if I went into your house today and I looked in the third drawer down in your kitchen, I'm certain I would find hidden treasures there, yeah? The only kitchen drawer that holds all the riches and the array of items that are too precious to throw out, the third drawer down in the kitchen. While we were packing our house up in Melbourne, Australia to move to Akron, Giselle and I had sleepless nights and tense, dis tense discussions about all the treasures that were living in the third drawer down in the kitchen. Here's one of them now. There he is. Look at that. It's a, it's a monkey. It's a, it's, a, it's a cast iron monkey. And it hangs pot plants. I couldn't throw it's, it's, it's. I brought it with me. I put it in my suitcase. I brought all 12 of them, in fact. I just could not throw them out. That treasure. 
So throughout the centuries, the human race has always been inspired by treasure and riches. We have the great example in the Indiana Jones movie franchise, isn't it? They just can't stop making those movies. And there's a, a fixated search for hidden treasure, a fixated search for lost civilizations, a fixated search for ancient wisdoms. And so it is with the man in our text. This man is a pearl freak. Jesus said his whole life was that of pearls. He lived pearls. He slept pearls. He ate pearls. He drank pearls. This man's pearls was this, this pearls were this man's passion this morning. And the Bible says he comes across a pearl of great price. Suddenly he's faced with a decision of a lifetime. What is he going to do? We can imagine the palms of his hands were sweating. His head was spinning. Verse 44 says, for the joy over it, or in his joy, what did he do? He sold everything, everything. He sold his existing pearl collection. He sold his house and his land. He sold everything for this one pearl of great price. Today, the passion of this man is not understood because the ancient people understood how a pearl was formed. The ancients understood how a piece of foreign debris would enter the confines of the shell and wound and damage the tender flesh of the shell creature. And now the creature secretes a substance called nacre. And nacre is what embodies the, 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 the debris, the, uh, the injuring and the harming foreign debris. And the pearl is created. Ancient people held a great respect for the pearl because they understood the torment and the pain that it created or how it was created through torment and pain. So they placed great value on the pearl. Today, in our modern culture, diamonds, emeralds, sapphires, rubies, gold, silver, all hold a greater value. But history declares that Cleopatra owned two of the largest pearls of all times. The ancient people understood that pearls held a much higher price. In fact, pearls held the highest price in ancient culture. And it's of no consequence that the gates of heaven are made from pearls. Revelations 21, 21 says the 12 gates are 12 pearls. Each individual gate was made of a single pearl. The broad street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. So the gates of heaven, our entrance into total salvation are made with single pearls. So firstly, the people who heard Jesus speak this parable understood the gravity and the tension of his story. Secondly, it's important that we understand what the pearl is and who the merchant is. This is more than just a parable this morning because Jesus says twice, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. In other words, this is what eternity is all about. So let's have a deeper look into what Jesus is saying about the kingdom of God. And as I said earlier, some claim that we are the merchant and the kingdom of God is the pearl, that we should be searching, that we should be seeking, that we should be paying the price. There's only one problem with that analysis. 
before I got saved, before I gave my life to Jesus, I was not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Let me be brutally honest with you this morning. I was not on a spiritual quest. I was not searching. I had nothing to offer God for my salvation. I was chasing after my own selfish desires, and so were many of you, and some of you still are. God meant nothing to me. I didn't care less about the kingdom of God. I wasn't looking for God. I was looking for a good time so that I could forget my pain and I could forget the hurts that were in my life. I was definitely looking for a self-righteous reason for my existence, and we all were. I believe I was a good person. I did. I believed I was a good person and that someday that my goods would somehow outweigh my bads and I would skate in through the pearly gates of heaven. <clears throat> but the truth is, it was God who found me. And if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, he found you also. I didn't have anything to sell. I had nothing to sell. I had nothing to sell to buy that pearl of great price. I was a sinner this morning. I was bankrupt before God. The Bible says in Isaiah 64, <coughs> verse 6, a person's own righteousness is but filthy rags. A person's own righteousness is but filthy rags. <coughs> I had nothing to offer to God except for my stinking, filthy rags. And so did you. So did you. But God this morning, in Jesus Christ, had everything to offer me. The Bible says God offers us the robe of righteousness. He offers us the garment of salvation. When God looks down from heaven, he does not see us, but sees Jesus and the price that Jesus paid. So the real truth of this parable is the one seeking pearls and the one who sold everything to buy the one pearl of great price is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is declaring in this text that we are the pearl of great price this morning. That God's obsession is with you. God is having a love affair with you. Whether you go to church or not, whether you are a child of God or not, his obsession is not some big church building with stained glass windows. God is obsessed with you. You are God's treasure in the earth. You are the pearl of great price. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God. We are the pearl of great price, church. We are the pearl of great price. God sets the highest value on people. The Bible declares he loves us so much in John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was Jesus that sold all. His very life. He sold everything to pursue the pearl of great price. Matthew 20, 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and gave his life as a ransom for many. Galatians 3.13 says, But by becoming a curse for us, Christ has redeemed us 
from the curse of the law, from the curse that the law brings. For the scripture says anyone who is hanged on a tree is under the curses of God's curse. Christ has redeemed us. Jesus has already redeemed you from sin, from your past, from your fallen nature, from your yesterdays. When you by faith receive Jesus, when you said yes to him, the Bible says that he will, or he did and he will, impute his righteousness to you. And it becomes yours. It's held in a state. When you say yes to Jesus, his righteousness is yours. Christ has redeemed us. One of the great words in all of the New Testament is the word redeemed. The word in the original Greek language is exegerazo. Say that with me. Exagerazo. It's a mouthful, isn't it? It's a beautiful, beautiful word in the Greek. It paints a picture of buying back to the point of blood. Another way of expressing the meaning is to buy back at an excessive price. And so we get our English word exaggerate or exaggerated from this Greek word exaggerazo. In, a, in the first century, the word was also used in the Greek to describe the buying and selling of slaves as human collateral. Exaggerazo, to buy back at an expensive price. And so the ancient idea of this word bears out this. Imagine with me, just come with me to the theatre of the mind. There's an auction going on where slaves are being bought and sold on an auction block. Imagine with me a little slave woman is being sold. There she is. She's withered. She's gaunt. She's probably sick, broken down. And the slave traders are selling these people off one after the other. The conquerors were selling the captives. And they're mocking her. How much will you give me for this little one here? Someone yells from the crowd, one dollar, and everyone laughs. Someone yells out again, I'll give you a dollar twenty-five, and then there's more laughter. Suddenly, someone steps out of the crowd, a man dressed in royal apparel, a rich man. He steps up and says, I'll give you one million dollars for that slave. Everyone in the crowd is shocked. They gasp, and no one can outbid him. And he walks up to her, walks up to this broken, this sick and withered woman and says, I have bought you to set you free. Exaggerazo. To buy back at an excessive price. Redeemed from the curse. Not just ransomed like somehow the devil, you know, got to squeeze or to cheat God. The fact is, Jesus paid more for you than the devil could afford. And he paid that price willingly he sold all to pursue the pearl of great price and that's you this morning and that's me we are the pearl of great price christ has redeemed us there are some some powerful lyrics from a song that speaks to this great truth and it says it's such a paradox it's such a mystery why a king would leave his throne to save humanity they could not have known when they mocked him in disgrace. They could not have known when they spat upon his face. The Rose of Sharon wore a crown of thorns that day. The carpenter had a nail right through his hands. The master of the earth became a servant of no worth. 
and paid a king's ransom for my soul. Creator of the earth, name above all names. Some just stood in unbelief when they listened to his claims. They could not have known when they hit him with their fists. They could not have known when they nailed his feet and wrists. The ransom that he paid was the price, was the sacrifice he made, the life of a king in place of me. The shame that he bore for the rich and for the poor changed his crown of thorns into glory. Finally, as we close, our last point is pearls are the most beautiful jewels because pearls are made from and by a living creature. Now, as we discussed earlier, a foreign object wounds the oyster. It gets into the confines of the shell, uh, this foreign object, and it wounds the oyster. And a substance, a substance called nacar forms around that foreign object and protects the tender flesh. As we move through our Christian life, there will be trials, there will be tribulations, there will be tests, there will be hurts, there will be scrapes, there will be wounds. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now, out of our trials, out of our hurts, out of our tribulations, out of our tests, God is creating and wants to create a beautiful pearl. We must believe that all things work together for good. We are not victims, beloved. We are not victims. We must embrace God's redemptive character and receive his forgiveness and his grace. From this revelation, the Holy Spirit's healing nature is like the oyster's healing nacar, soothing the wounds of the soul, even as a healing balm this morning for the scrapes of life, for the tragedies of life. At times we might feel like we're dying. This life is not always easy to live. But God is building and he's molding your life by his Holy Spirit with his soothing nacre, taking the sharp edges off, healing the hurts and making sense of the tribulations. There will be trials. <clears throat> there will be tests. Everyone has them. But as Christians, we are called to give up our right to hatred. We are called to give up our right to bitterness. We are called to give up our rights to revenge and self-pity. And we need to let God take the hurtful and the ugly things and let him build a victorious life, a life that will give him all the glory, all the praise, and most of all, a life that will be a jewel for heaven. As the worship team comes forward and the piano plays softly. This morning, as we will soon gather around the Lord's table to celebrate what Jesus did for us over 2,000 years ago. Jesus paid the ultimate price so that you and I could have a home in heaven. The God of the universe stepped out of eternity and disguised himself as a human being and walked on planet earth. He lived a life that, that you should have lived and he died a death that you should have died. Jesus paid the ultimate price and took the judgment that you should have taken and you should have faced. And this is the glorious truth this morning of the gospel. 
Jesus died in your place. He paid the price so that you could come into a relationship with God. It's not about what ritual you do or what rituals you observe. It's not about what church you go to or whether you've been baptised or whether you give money to the church. The fact is, you are the pearl of great price. You are the treasure in the field. And Jesus gave all. He paid the price for your soul that no one else could. Jesus is in love with you this morning. Our text says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. It's about God's love affair with his creation. It's about God wanting the best for you here on earth and in the world to come. So let's bow our heads as we pray and believe God this morning. And I would ask at this time that Christians would also be praying for the redeeming presence of God in this place. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Perhaps you are here, gathered with us this morning. And this whole message has brought a challenge to you. And the challenge that you find yourself with is that you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Saviour. And if that is you this morning, please just slip up your hand right now and say, yes, that's me. That's me. I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Quickly, if that's you, just slip up your hand. That's me, Pastor Neil. I want to say yes to Jesus this morning. Here's my hand. By faith, I want my sins forgiven. By faith, I want to know I'm redeemed from the curse of sin. I want to become a child of God. I want to be brought back. I want to make heaven my home. Here's my hand, Pastor Neil. Please pray for me. Here's my hand. I want to say yes to Jesus. Please pray for me. Amen. If you raised your hand, then I would ask you to repeat this prayer. Let's all join in this morning and pray this prayer. Let's repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I surrender my life to you today. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me with your blood. I believe you died for me. On the third day you rose again that I may be justified. Right now I believe that my sins are forgiven. I am justified by your blood. I am born again. I am saved. I am a child of God. I am free from the power of sin to serve a living God. Thank you, Jesus, for receiving me. Thank you, Jesus, for restoring me. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Beloved, I want to continue our time of ministry. Let's continue with this attitude of prayer and expectation. Let's continue under the anointing of the Holy Spirit because 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 tells us, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. God's got big things for you and I this morning. He's got great things for us. However, if you're struggling this morning with bitterness, if you're struggling this morning with unforgiveness, if you're struggling this morning with hurt feelings, with repulsive feelings towards another person perhaps, with alienation, 
with lack of obedience to the things of God, if you're struggling with any of those things, if you're struggling in those areas of your Christian walk, then you're in the right place this morning. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, if that is you, I would love to pray for you right now and anoint you and pray for you. If that is you this morning, as the service continues, as the songs are sung, I would like you to just leave your seat this morning and come out the front of the altar and I want to pray with you personally. So if that's you, so please just uh, come out of your seat as the song is sung and please, I want to pray with you. Amen.